0: Right, shall we kick this off? Episode 83, Bricks and Water podcast, buying, selling, renting property. You've got to like property. If you don't like property, I tell you what, maybe switch off now. Anyway, if you're still here, property, let's talk property talk a little bit about mortgage fraud. It is in the news. I'll tell you some stories about how we're dealing with that kind of thing. Market, we'll talk about the market. We'll talk about a 24-hour mortgage that we got for our client and day one mortgages being banned from Facebook. I'll tell you my story about that. A little bit about the insurance at the back of the office. And finally, we'll talk about journaling. Do you journal? I've been journaling since 2017, every day. I try without fail to try and get stuff done as far as the journal is concerned, but I've tweaked it and I'll just talk to you about that right at the end of the show. So listen, let's kick off with the market, shall we? I think things are calming down. And the reason for that is that I think that there is less up op- now. This is assuming, of course, that we don't get spiked out by the Indian variant and that we go back into level three, but let's assume we don't. So we're talking at the stage now where we have got restaurants open. We have got, you can go for a drink. You can go to the gym. There's so many more things you can do now rather than obsess about property. And I think what will happen is at the start of summer, you will find that there will be less people obsessing about property and there'll also be a lot of people who are just completely scunnered with the market and they're just saying you know what I can't be arsed with this I'm not competing I'm not paying 10 15 20 percent over the home report value I'll come back when the market calms down so all of these things I think are building up I think there's probably going to be more stock on the market people are getting jagged up and so therefore they probably are more or happier anyway to have people traipsing through their property so I think what is going to happen is that there will be a calming listen every summer there is a general calming of the property market round about the school holiday time but I think because we have been obsessing about property and have not been able to do anything other than obsess about property or spend money on your property or buy another property, I think that the summer slowdown will happen a little bit sooner. And I'm getting that feeling from some of the estate agents. Um, I I spoke to to Coram, Retis, Clyde, Um, And Lindsay's the solicitors, and they have been saying that the phones have not been ringing off the hook. Don't get me wrong, they're still very busy, but it's not that madness that we had been looking at. So bear that in mind. I still think that there are deals out there. As I always say to my clients, when we've got a frothy market like this, you're going to have to look under a lot more stones and you're going to have to kiss quite a few more frogs but there are deals out there we're doing a fair amount of work now with landlords who are still able to get stuff at under home report value we've just taken some instructions yesterday of somebody who's purchased a property at 113 with a home report value at 115 great yield for them and it's a bit out of the way and I think that's when we're talking about a calming of the market I think that is where the market will calm first if you can imagine the analogy of throwing a, a stone into a pond the ripple effect will happen out on the outskirts okay I think that if you are bang smack in the middle of the west end or the south side um, Giftnet, Newton, Mearns, Clarkston, then I don't think you're going to be as badly affected when it all starts to slow down. So listen, that's a bit about the market. Let's talk mortgage fraud. Now, I've done a blog post on trying to get a buy-to-let mortgage where you are going to be doing Airbnb and serviced accommodation. And it's an absolute no-no because ultimately the lenders are saying that if you're going to um, do that, then in essence, you're not telling the truth in terms of the application. As far as the application is concerned, what you're doing is you have to have a short to tenancy. So if you're going into this on the basis of doing serviced accommodation, then that's an absolute no-no. And you might not think well, you might be thinking, well, how the the lenders going to find out? Well, the, the issue is that if they do find out and they could potentially find out at the end of your two year fixed rate, because they will want to see sight of bank statements. And if they see bank statements that have got income coming in sporadically, they're not daft, these people. They'll put two and two together and realise that you're doing serviced accommodation or Airbnb and, you're likely to be for the high jump. And what that has is it has ramifications, not only of you potentially going on to the standard variable rate or them repossessing the property. It has ramifications if you do that for yourself as an individual getting funding in the future because the bottom line is that you'll be blackballed by all the other lenders because the lenders will talk to one another. I'll tell you a story about it's not necessarily to do with servant accommodation, but it was to do with somebody who had said that they had wanted it was either a residential mortgage or a buy to let mortgage. But in essence, what they were doing and continuing to do on a regular basis was they were getting a mortgage Um, to buy a property that was a bit run down, they would then refurbish the property and then they would flip the property. So in essence, what they were doing was they were using the the buy-to-let mortgage or the residential mortgage purely as a vehicle in order to flip. If those of you who are out there who are investors, you will know that getting money for a bridge can be three quarters of a percent per month, maybe even 1% per month. So it's much more expensive to do a short term bridge than it is potentially to look at doing something like a residential mortgage and doing a flip anyway. So this particular, it was the BDM that I spoke to and I asked him, do they do short term funding? And he said, no, they don't. And I asked him the question, I said, well, Surely you will come across people who you know are doing short term funding, um, but they're saying that they're not. And he told me a story of where uh, they had done an investigation on this particular uh, client. And they had then uh, asked this particular lender, had gone back to other lenders using the name of the broker. And it was clear that there was a chain of events that had happened on numerous occasions that they then put two and two together and, and clearly found that not only the broker but this particular client was committing fraud and what they were saying is that they were lying in the application on the basis that they had said they knew from the start that they were only going to be flipping this property so when they were putting in the application that they were wanting a 25 year term it was just lies they weren't even contemplating doing that so it was the fact that they had this plan and they had done it many times before that that was one of the main reasons why they ended up uh, going, for that, going for the going high, for the the high jump so uh, And of course there's ramifications because what ends up happening is that that particular client is then blackballed by all of the other lenders and they're gonna find it very, very difficult to get any credit in the future. But it also has ramifications for the broker because the broker's neck is in the noose. And if he has been seen to be colluding with that particular client, then he'll lose his job. He'll probably get struck off. So, you know, there, there are ramifications with regards to this kind of thing. Uh, So if you, what you need to make sure and do is just do it properly, okay? So if you're gonna be doing serviced accommodation or Airbnb, it's actually pretty difficult to get funding at the moment. I know Leeds Building Society do it for an individual, Scottish Building Society, were doing it for a while there. And I understand that from the limited company perspective, What we're going to be seeing hopefully quite soon is that Paragon Bank are coming back. They were doing it pre-pandemic and my understanding from speaking to the BDM there is that they they have signed off in principle of coming back into that particular space and it looks very much as if they're just sorting out the numbers and what they're hoping that they will be able to offer is another product that will... Mean that you can do Airbnb or serviced accommodation through a limited company. So from the fraud angle, we 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 go constantly to seminars that are done by a lot of the banks, and one particular uh, from time to time we get information from banks building societies and we got one recently in connection with the financial crime update and it was quite eye-opening as to what the tricks are that clients will use in order to commit mortgage fraud and the the network that we're part of TMA come up with a document that said that Income and employment fraud is still currently the number one fraud type. Uh, And generally it's often connected to inflated or secondary incomes, which are supported by false documentation. And it's the false documentation that we've, as brokers, have got to make sure that we cast a really close eye on in order to try and detect the fraud. So there's various checks that we will use. Uh, For example, new employments, or those clients working in a family business. We've just got to be very wary of that. The nightmare scenario is that the client comes to you and they say, how much do I need to be earning? Or will the lenders look at company's house? These kind of questions that clients put to brokers are absolute red flags. I mean, nobody should be going to a broker and saying, unless you are, Somebody who owns a company, and you have got some flexibility as far as dividend income is concerned, but even then, with mortgages for limited company directors on shareholders, the information that you need is over a two-year period. So if somebody comes to me and says, "How much do I need to be earning?" I'm thinking, "Oh, oh watch out here. That's not that's not quite right." We're analysing bank statements. Uh, we've got to do that so closely to confirm that the salary credits match the income noted in the payslips we consider p60s for employed clients requesting the last p60 and we'll even go back and and ask for the previous year's p60 as well payslips well everybody knows all you need is three payslips and certainly you hear stories where People are saying, well, how many months do I have to show a pay increase for? And the inference obviously is, well, I can show that pay increase for three months and then my employer will stop paying me that amount of money. Again, what we're looking at doing here is going back past the three months. Really, it's all about due diligence from a broker's perspective. Sometimes we consider telephoning the employer just to confirm that they actually are employed We'll check the employer's website. We'll also use online tax calculators to check that the income tax has been deducted at the correct rate. There's lots of things that we need to do just to make sure that we are acting for somebody who is absolutely kosher. We look for errors in income documents or changes in the format. This is really, really important. We check the documentation that's supplied for outgoings and other incomes such as child benefit, working tax credits. And what we've got to do is satisfy ourselves that it's appropriate for the client to receive these based on the information that we've been supplied. I mentioned Companies House earlier. We always look at Companies House just to get some further clarification on the self-employed nature of the client's business And then sometimes what we'll also do is is check with the estate agency to confirm on what basis the property is being marketed. It's difficult for people, I understand that, but you've got to play by the rules. One of the things that we're finding is the bounce back loans and you cannot use the bounce back loan scheme, the BBLS, which provides financial support to businesses. You, You cannot use that as the deposit. I mean, that will be, that's one of the things that the lenders will look at. They will look to see whether your business has been affected by COVID. And they will also look to see where that deposit has come from. So just be aware that the bounce back loan scheme, you can't use that for a deposit. Fraud is something that is out there. It is in all walks of life and never much more so than what we do as far as mortgage is concerned. And we've really always got to make sure that we've got the lights switched on and make sure that, uh, that we are not victims. Just as the banks may be victims of fraud, we don't want to be victims of fraud. Really what we want to do at, at Bricks and Mortar Mortgages is to ensure that we know our client. We must do our Due diligence and make sure that we never get caught out. So, That's mortgage fraud, a bit about the market. I said I would talk about uh, being banned from Facebook. So this is probably about two or three weeks ago. And uh, we've been so busy. You'll know that I do a lot of stuff on social media with regards to our Instagram and Facebook. By the way, if you've not joined us on Facebook or Instagram, please do that. We do do a lot of stuff there. We do lots of great videos and a lot of good insight into the mortgage market but there I was banned from Facebook. Uh, I opened up my phone and probably for about 10 days, I couldn't actually get into Facebook and I just thought it was a glitch in the system. And then when I went on to my desktop to try and get on, the it just disappeared, no rhyme, no reason. I don't think I had done anything wrong, but clearly the gods at Facebook thought that I had, had done something. And I don't know if you've ever, being kicked off of Facebook, it is a nightmare to try and get back on. So there is a system which you can use in which you can appeal, but I tried to appeal and they said that they would not accept my appeal because they claimed that I had not appealed within a 30 day limit, which was just a nonsense because I had maximum period of time was 10 days, no more than that. Uh, when I find out that I'd been kicked off of Facebook. So I trolled through the Googles and my heart sank because they said, listen, you've got absolutely no chance. You can send them an email, but the chances of you getting a response are probably fairly, fairly low. And with that, I just thought, well, I'll send them an email. I'm not expecting them to, have, to give me any sort of response and I'll just have to start again, which was such a egg because it means that you've got to get a new profile. It means that I've got to get a new business page. I run a, a cricket podcast, so, so that, everything out of that, we had a Facebook page for that, so that had disappeared. And anything that I had created that stemmed from myself as a personal profile, it had just disappeared. It was still on Facebook, but you can never add to it and you could never actually get into it. So the whole thing was just a complete ball uh, And so a week passed and I'm typing away and lo and behold, my Facebook profile reappears. No, no email from Facebook, no nothing. It just reappeared as if by magic. Reappeared, got my profile back and now I've got two profiles on Facebook. All very strange, all very strange. But I have to say, I'm so grateful because as I say, there's such there's really good stuff there on that Facebook page of ours, Bricks and Mortar Mortgages. So do go and have a look at that. If you're looking for a mortgage or if you've got any interest in property, go and have a look at that and join us on Instagram as well. So banned from Facebook for two weeks and I'm back up and running. Let's talk insurers. At long last, I got an email today from the insurers saying that we're good to go so Jimmy get your arse over here because we need to get that flooring sorted out Jimmy Perry at uh, Ideal uh, who did the office up back in the day uh, has done a majority of the repairs and he came to me and said listen I can't get the flooring the laminate flooring that we put down It's out of stock, I can't get it. And so what we had to do is go back to the insurers and make a claim for a replacement of the whole of the flooring within the office. And they said, Well, it's now over five thousand pounds and so therefore you were going to have to get the loss adjuster. So I had to traipse out to the office. You'll be aware that we're out of the office and have been out of the office for the last what's it been? two months, three months. So I had the traipse out there. I had to do some sort of video call with them, answered a couple of questions. And lo and behold, listen, I can't, Sedgwick's are doing it. Uh, loss Adjusters are appointed by them and they have been first class, I have to say, hat off. Um, the guy was called, in fact, bizarrely, the guy was called Jonathan. And I always wonder, because obviously my name's Jonathan, um, I wonder if he uh, moved it forward a little bit quicker. Than he he uh, he could have done uh, just because I had the same name. These things don't laugh. These things it it does it does work um, from from time to time, and it looks very much as if it's it's worked there. So Jimmy, get your arse over here because we need to get that flooring done. We need to get back in the office. I'm I'm sick and fed up working from home, and I just I need to get back in into the office. I don't know if it, I'm probably preaching to the choir here but there will be a lot of you will clearly be working from home and what I find most difficult is that it is very difficult to shut off at the end of the day Um, I've got an office up here at the top of the house but you know for the last three weeks I've been coming up after dinner and I've been doing work and I find it very difficult just to completely shut off. So when I get back to the office, that's gonna be a lot easier for me to do. There's no doubt about that. So what have we done there? 21, 22 minutes. Uh, Just gonna round up now with journaling. I've been journaling now for, well, the posts I've done is just coming up from about 1,500 posts. So on the basis that I do a post every day, what's that? that's five, so 2017 I think I started doing my journaling and it was right at the start of when I started off doing the the mortgages and it was just something that I was interested in. Um, I'd heard a lot of, of the benefits of doing the journaling and I've been doing it pretty much on and off for the last three years 1500 posts and I was listening to a podcast as I do about journaling and I've actually changed the way that I I look at journaling and and I'm trying to do more of a sort of gratitude journal if if that makes sense this guy had suggested that in journaling one of the things you should look at is what was the best thing that happened to you yesterday now, we're in lockdown and we're coming out of lockdown and mental health is a huge, huge issue at the moment. I looked at a uh, BBC website and uh, there was an article there by Graham Dot, who's the snooker player who was um, had terrible problems with depression following on from I think it was the death of his father-in-law that was after he won the world championships Uh, but mental health is something that is really front and center and I think journaling really does really does help it allows you just to step back from you know what you've done in the day and I think that if you can start a journal and get that journal to focus on the good things almost use it as a gratitude journal that's what I'm doing and it seems to be working for me I've been doing it for about 10-15 days and it's great just looking back on the day I tend to do it just after sort of five o'clock on the day I think that if you do it the next morning it's not the the stuff that you did that day is obviously not front and centre. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. Give it a go. I I really enjoy it. And the question that I try and, and answer is, what was the best thing that happened to you yesterday? Have a go. See what you think. Right, that's me out of here. I'm gonna circle back hopefully next week. We're gonna try and get Steve McKenna talking about NLP. He's keen to come on the podcast. I tell you also is keen to come on is Jack Gallagher. I've been trying to speak with Jack Gallagher probably for the best part of a year, but Javier, my good mate Javier, has put me in touch with him. I had a great chat with him and he's keen to come on. He's got some great stories to tell. And then Jane Bucken, Jay Bucken, she's now with uh, Keller Williams doing some estate agency stuff. So Keller Williams, of those of you who have read the one thing, Gary Keller, the one thing, well, that's KW Keller Williams. He's behind that. So really interested to get Jane's take on her KW experience. She's keen to come on, so let's get her on and just see what what kind of chat she's got with regards to the KW experience. So that's it. One final story is Fax Machines. So I'm a a child of the 80s and the fax machine was the only way to communicate when I started my legal career back in 1992 and if you can imagine you had your fax machine, it it, it, um, it made various strange noises and what used to happen was some toilet roll used to come out at the end and it was pretty much the most awful photocopy you could ever imagine and but this was just an amazing device that somehow you could then send script through without you having to actually post it what a wheeze and then suddenly you got rid of the toilet roll and lo and behold you actually got an A4 sheet of paper that looked as if well you could read it first of all and it looked as if it was uh, almost as if something that you'd printed So fax machines for years and years and years solicitors relied upon fax machines to send offers at closing dates it was just the thing that was done and even with the advent of the computer and email solicitors still hung on to the fax machine and I was doing an offer uh, sending it out to Paciti Jones. And for some straight, I don't know why I asked this, but I asked them for the fax machine, the, the fax number. Now, I've not asked a solicitor for years about um, a fax number. I, I can't honestly remember, maybe five, six, seven years. Uh, so I asked Paciti Jones for their fax number and they said they don't have a fax number. Is that is that a thing now? that, that Nobody, am I just talking through my uh, that nobody uses fax machines or, or am I still is it is that sort of prehistoric to talk about fax machines I'll see you next week